And now, The Mentors Radio, one of the most popular and unique shows on the air today. Here each week, remarkable CEOs and leaders, including hosts Tom Laurie and Dan Hesse, and their guests will mentor you, challenging your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their ethical leadership and advice, and for helping others succeed throughout their careers, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Learn more and check out the show notes at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Thank you for joining us. Entrepreneurs are creators, not harvesters. They have been the value creation engine for our country. Real question is, can it be taught or is it something you're born with? Today, our guest mentor, Andreas Wiedmer, founder and director of the Sioka Center for Principled Entrepreneurship, will join me to discuss entrepreneurship and what he's learned about developing entrepreneurs for the future. Andreas, welcome back to The Mentors. We have a lot to cover, so let's get started. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background and key experiences and what brought you to the Sioka Center? Thanks, Tommy, Tom, for having me back. It's been a few years. I'm very privileged to be here. So uh, as you said, my name is Andreas Widmer. I'm, as you can tell from my accent, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't born in America. I was born over in Switzerland, in Europe. And early on, um, I went through the normal process in Switzerland. Um, I studied uh, sales management and then went into the military. And then uh, one of the great change agents in my life was that I was I applied for what's in Switzerland, a foreign legion, an elite military unit that is uh, that protects the Pope. There's the bodyguards for the Pope. Those are called the Swiss guards. And I was, lo and behold, they accepted me. And I went there for two years to serve John Paul II as one of his bodyguards uh, in the late 80s. Uh, when I was there, I uh, met my wife, now my wife, then my girlfriend, and she was American. And so I set my mind to come to the United States. And I arrived in the U.S. in uh, 1989. Didn't speak. I don't know if I've ever told you this time, but I didn't speak a lick of English when I came here. And I, I didn't know that. And I went to school here and I went to Boston and I went to school there. But I, I, they gave me like one semester and said, look, we just let you in. If you learn it, fine. If not, you've got to go back home. <laughs> and I, I did learn it. And I while there, I met some students from MIT. I didn't go to MIT, but these students were. And they invited me to help them with their fledgling, with their startup company, um, where they told me, oh, we have this, there's this, this network um, on, 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 on Unix computers, and we are going to bring this to the PC. And, and, and they, they were sort of telling me that if I speak all these languages, I wouldn't need to use computers. I could just do the sales and, and manage the, the foreign markets. And I took that job as a non-paid job um, in that startup. And that startup, of course, was called FTP Software. And we ported TCP IP to the PC. So we were part of bringing the internet to the PC in the late, in the 80s, in the late 80s. And that was a rocket ship. So I, I went to school, but worked there at the same time. In 93, we went public. I stayed a little bit, but then switched and met other friends at MIT again. Uh, Jim and Janet Baker, who invented speech recognition. So I then became a part of launching Dragon Systems, the speech recognition company, 
which we sold in 2000. And then I, I did a few more uh, startup uh, software companies, but then went into business uh, strategy. I joined Monitor Group and one of their subsidiaries that focus on strategy and on certain markets. And I spun that out um, and started to focus a lot on emerging markets and businesses there. Uh, sort of focusing on entrepreneurs in, in, in emerging markets, really interesting. Um, and then I did a stint, I had, I had a philanthropy where I focused on that same thing. But then somebody approached me and said, hey, we're starting a business school. And based on my last book that I wrote, the first book I wrote, which you had me for the, on the show before called The Pope and the CEO, I sort of wrote about it. Well, is there something like a Christian business person or an ethical business person and so on? And so I wrote that and they approached me and said, look, we want to build a business school around this idea. Would you join us? And I, I did. That's when I moved to Washington, D.C. And I started to help build, found and build the business school at the Catholic University of America. And there I lead the Entrepreneurship Center now. And for everybody, uh, that dragon, naturally speaking, which I use all the time, uh, the company is Nuance, and today it has a market cap of $18 billion. So when he talks about the rocket ship, it was a rocket ship uh, that was sustained. Uh, it's done quite well. Yeah. And the book he mentioned about the Pope and the CEO talked about the lessons he learned from John Paul II. That's a great book. I believe it's being used in some curricula around the country, isn't it, and some of the MBA programs? I'm very uh, flattered, very honored that it has been, it is being used by a lot of universities. I get a lot of positive feedback for this. It's, it's been very edifying to, uh, to write about this. But then again, these, uh, the ideas I'm, I'm promoting there are not my ideas. So I feel uh, just, I, I feel very privileged to be able to, to verbalize what I learned from John Paul II. That's an excellent book. And now you've got the new book out, The Art of Principled Leadership. And it's all about creating enduring value, not only for uh, society, but for the entrepreneur itself. Yeah. So let's get started with some of the questions that I want to get at. And mm -hmm. do you think entrepreneurship has been misrepresented by the media, business schools and university programs, MBA programs? That's a clear yes from my, <laughs> clear yes from my side. Two ways, two ways it's been misrepresented. On the one hand, the misrepresentation is that entrepreneurship starts with a, with an, uh, with a, uh, you know, greed or, or, or just a money perspective. I think that's absolutely not true. Most entrepreneurs end up making so little money uh, that you wouldn't have that as the motivator. But I, I feel at the core of entrepreneurship is not a drive uh, for riches or so. There's actually a drive for creativity and solutions, right? Uh, so that's the first thing that's being misrepresented. The second thing is I lament the fact that entrepreneurship is only regarded as something that it consists of starting a business, whereas I believe entrepreneurship is a mindset, a creativity, a creator mindset that there is, you know, employee entrepreneurs, franchise entrepreneurs, idea entrepreneurs. I think entrepreneurship is something that that comes along in in any walk of life. So I, I've been around entrepreneurs. I consider myself somewhat of an entrepreneur today. I've been involved in the startup world for many I years. Say, yeah. So I, when you talk about money and mission, I mean, it's clear to me it's mission oriented for most entrepreneurs, although out in Silicon Valley, you have a lot of people getting together, trying to find the next whatever so they can make yeah. a lot of money. But 
And one of my first uh, experiences was in the medical field where a, a gentleman, his daughter had hydrocephalus and he really wanted to do something to solve the problem. Yeah. That was his that was his focus, his mission. And he created the first shunt for hydrocephalus, which led to a division, uh, ultimately a division of Johnson and Johnson. And I knew of that because I ran a division of American Hospital Supply that had another shunt uh, that was driven by somebody that was mission driven. But I I've seen that clearly. I think that business starts and entrepreneurship starts with a very simple question. We're overcomplicating things. The entrepreneur starts with the question, how may I help you? And that is what they're looking at. They're seeing a problem and they're trying to solve it. We're going to come right back with entrepreneur and entrepreneurship coach, Andreas Widmer, who is focused on creating enduring value for both entrepreneur and society. Remember, you can listen live to our Saturday broadcast anywhere in the world by going to San Francisco, 860 The Answer. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and I am with former Swiss Vatican Swiss Guard, Andreas Widmer, who has 30 years of experience in entrepreneurship and has participated in the launch of more than 100 technology project products. So we're talking about entrepreneurship, and uh, and one of my things is a lot of business professors have never been involved. I, I can tell you there are a lot of people sitting on boards that have never been involved in starting a company. Uh, I mean, it ripples all the way through. Um, what do you think the the difference is between the mythology of entrepreneurship and its reality? And let's you know think about things like the Shark Tank and all of that that's out there. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, and, and besides, it gets often translated the wrong way into schools. But on, on what you say, what strikes me there is, did you ever think that business is the only domain, the only academic domain where you can come, you can have a degree in it without ever having done it? Would you trust a doctor who has never done surgery? Would you have a pharmacist who never actually worked with the with the medicine itself? We're the only domain where you don't where you can actually be a business. Uh, you can have an MBA. You can have a doctorate in business, and you've never done business. When so, I'm not an academic. I'm I'm an entrepreneur, as you said. I, I don't have a PhD, but my PhD is in practice, right? So because I've done these companies. When I had this chance to help build a business school, one of my conditions was that I would teach the first course that the students get. And I, I do that at Catholic University. And my approach is that just like you would not learn how to swim on dry land, uh, you don't learn how to do business without actually running a business. And so as a freshman, when we have 18-year-old freshmen coming into, into, a, into our classes in, in, in the first semester, they start a business right away. I, I guide them with the ideation, with the whole process. And every student, I don't care what business part you study, you start a business while you're with us so that you know what you're talking about. So I think that's, takes, that takes a lot of the mythology away because you start to learn as a student that business is other directed, that unless you understand what the customer wants and what the customer is willing to pay for, you're never going to have a business. A business is not a nice dream and the wishful thinking on your part, but it is solving somebody's problem, adding value for others. And are the students hungry? So good question, Tom. Hunger comes 
there are students who are hungry who, who basically come in and they've been conditioned by our society in a sense uh, to come in and say i want to make as much money as possible i i'm trying to work with those students and say why and to what end right what we have lost is the uh, is the hung the the hunger for personal and human excellence to say i want to become the best the best possible self that i could possibly be that's the hunger I'm looking for. There are some, I would say, maybe in the 10% range of people who come in with that hunger. There's probably about 40% coming in with the hunger for an uh, for a career and saying, I want to you know, make it. And they look at financials on this. And then the 50% come in and they say, what am I doing here? Tell me what to do, right? So, so sort of the schooling teaches people to behave like, you know, like, play complacent and and just do it tell me what to do and i'll do it and so my approach with that with each group is a little bit different but in general i believe to i hope to show the students that business school school in general should do a couple of things it's school has to be revised it's that we're not in the industrial revolution anymore We, we have to do something different the first thing that school should do is to help you discover your talents you have innate, God-given talents. I'm six foot nine. I will never be a horse jockey, okay? But if my, my but if I want to play 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 basketball, I certainly have a chance at it. And so there's, but we have that inside of us as well. I didn't do anything to be that size, okay? I just have it, and we have that inside of us as well. So the first thing I work with the students on is to say, let me help you find your talents, your proclivities, your interests. These are given, right? And then turn around. So once you have that, and that's something that you're not competing with anybody else, you're finding out what you, who you are. And then I'm going to try to help to show you how can you add value? How can you create value for others with your talents? When you figure that out, just you, the value add is equal to making a profit because then you get paid more than what, what it costs you to make it. When you're doing that that you add value for others with your talents, then you will never be without a client. And you will never ask, what should I do next? Because you, you have found your way of adding value, of creating in the world. Well, I know this whole idea of finding, learning, know thyself and understanding ourselves is a, a topic that I found most young people are very interested in. They're a little confused. Yeah. They want to learn about yeah. themselves. Uh, a lot of people don't take the time to show them how that can be done. Uh, there was a uh, a church out here in San Francisco, St. Dominic's, that actually ran a program, and they had an overflow crowd from regardless of faith tradition because they ran a program on understanding and developing and identifying your talents. So I know there's a tremendous hunger for that. Yeah. Uh, the question is, why don't we do a better job of it in the uh, the business world? It's amazing. Uh, now, there's a tool that you and I are both aware of, and it's called StrengthsFinder 2.0. And for those people who are listening that aren't aware of this tool, you can take this test, which has been qualified and certified by across all ethnic groups and age yeah. groups, and you will get a list of your signature talents first five, you can pay more and get 10, can pay more money. Yeah. But the key is they also do a printout showing how you use these talents and where yeah. you can create value. So you you can do this today just by going online and getting a, a copy of the book and, and do the test. 
And I yeah. and I know you recommend that in your at the end of his book. He lists a lot of good books for people to read, and that's one of them. Yeah, is I think it's from Gallup. Um, and I what I love there is that they give you an objective idea, and then also can give you examples of people with those strengths, with those talents. How do their careers look like? Do you know that a lot? People say that you can't imagine what you don't know already. It's a, it sounds like an oxymoron, but let me tell you. Most students who come, we're talking about 18 to 22-year-old uh, young people, they come and they basically, when I explore with them what they would like to do with their life, they give you something that they've seen before. Maybe they add a little and they morph it into something, but they never think of a career they've never seen, right? Because we don't think like this. We can't think of something we don't know. And therefore, one of the key things I'm trying to do is to show our students role models and examples of entrepreneurs, of, of business leaders, of people with jobs that they never thought of themselves so that they can align with saying somebody with your talents, with your with your gifts has done this, that, or the other thing and to expand their horizon. And, but, but in my opinion, it's like we're, we're animating their, their, uh, their imagination so they can visualize themselves of how their life could look like with, the, with their personality, with their talents and so on. There's a great poverty of this in our in our world today and in our schooling today because we only revere certain people with certain you know the Bill Gates of the world and the Warren Buffetts and everything and then beyond that a small manufacturing company that in my opinion actually literally prints money like because they just created a a a, a super great product for the automotive industry or somebody like you Tom who's in the medical uh, device industry and and does that. People don't get exposed to this, and so they don't have that imagination to pursue it. And we find a lot of students who fall in love with the with with people that they meet through our school who have off the be off the what are you off the beaten track kind of careers. And uh, age age is an issue. I Fanod Kozla, who I've worked with, he had yeah. a comment that he made, which I don't agree with. I curious what you think uh Vinod said that it's only the people under 35 that really think big and have new ideas but the re that isn't really the reality is it that's not true it's the, the demonstrably false the the greatest portion of entrepreneurs even during the boom of the of, of the 1990s and 2000s has always been over 55 and i think wisdom and 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 in a sense self-security has a lot to do with this um, you know, I see this myself. I'm, I'm in my 50s and I'm saying, you know, I won't have many more shots at this. I would like to say, what, what goals do I have? And I'm going to go for it. Whereas earlier in, 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 in your years, you're still trying, you look at yourself as still learning. And there's some risks that even though you think it's the inverse, some risks you're not willing to take because you want to get your career off to, off to a start. Whereas later on, a lot of people, the majority of entrepreneurs today, start after their 50. You have a, a executive program for older people at CUA? So we have an so we have an MSBA, so a, a, a master's in business in science for business analytics. You see, there's so many MBAs and executive programs to begin with that we sort of when you come in, it's to me this is a startup, right? And so I come into the market and so okay, we have an undergrad degree for the graduate degree. Let's 
let's offer what, what we think is the most important and most lacking. And that was, we started 10 years ago and we've done it for that long now. The first program we, we developed as a master's program is to take data and analyze it into actionable, insightful things for businesses to do. So that's our MBA. We can expand this at some point or so, but right now we do this, uh, this data-based uh, master's program. And then for executive education, we actually do something, it's a, it's a bad term, but we're, we're branding as we go along, but we call them lunch and learns for right now. And they're free. You basically you basically join us for a an hour-long discussion of something. The first half hour, we have an expert talking about a topic in the second half hour. Anybody can ask any question about their business and how to apply it. And that's kind of our general offering right now for the, for the, for the broad uh, business population. Well, let's come back to that after a break. We're with entrepreneur and entrepreneurship coach, Andreas Wiedmer. You can listen to shows, our shows, by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. Click on list of shows. Subscribe while you're there so you don't miss any future shows. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with former Swiss guard Andreas Wiedmer, who has 30 years of experience in entrepreneurship and has participated in the launch of more than 100 technology projects. So when we were in the last segment, we we're talking about these uh, executive programs. Are th I'm curious, are they, uh, are they impacted? Are you getting a large number of older people coming in and trying to upgrade their skills and learn more about these things? We get a lot of people asking us specific questions. Of course, the hot thing right now is uh, AI and, and LLMs. But we do get a lot of questions around uh, the integration of ethics and business, for example, with hiring and firing, uh, with products and margins, with the with the whole uh, market entry stuff. Very specific questions that we're getting. And what we do is we basically, people can just send us messages and say, hey, do something on this or that topic. And the better, the more exact you are in telling me, the more exact I can bring an expert in. And then, as I said, they do a half an hour of talking and a half an hour of answering questions. But I wouldn't say that it's, you know, it's not thousands of people that uh, that are interested in this, in, in our sphere, maybe hundreds of people. Um, but also, um, to me, this is a beta product. We're going to scale it as we go along. It, I'm still playing with it. And... Uh... Before we go any further, you really have to differentiate for the audience. What is an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and what is a principled uh, or what is entrepreneurship and what is principled entrepreneurship? So I, I defined these five pillars. I I wanted to talk about principled entrepreneurship because I was inspired by, by Art Sioka, who, who's a friend of mine that I wrote this book about um, to distinguish uh, and to fight, sort of, we started our our conversation out by saying, uh, you know, what are the misconceptions of entrepreneurs out there? And in a sense, bring bring the term principal entrepreneurship is uh, the the actual entrepreneurs are not people who are these money grabbing, selfish uh, kind of people, but these are these are people who have what I call these five pillars of thought. Entrepreneurship is a mindset more. Uh, than it is a, a set of rules. 
And these are people who understand, for example, that the economy exists for people and not people for the economy. And you can go through the, the five different pillars that we have um, uh, defined. And the last pillar of it is, it's people who have this creator mindset rather than the harvester mindset. They're people to, to re who, who regard everything as uh, sort of the glass half full and they keep coming, keep coming back to the creativity of the work that they're doing rather than from uh, from a harvested perspective to sort of say, well, can I get out of this? And tell us a little bit more about our Sioka. It's one of my great privileges in life to have known him. Um, he's the creator of, uh, of the second largest wine company in the world. Some of you may know what a boxed wine is. That's what Art is the one who popularized that, the wine cooler, the wine spritzer really popularized table wine in the United States and um, started a company, uh, um, well, started with a company, actually bought the company from Coca-Cola, a company called Franzia, and he really made that a household name, but also 30 other brands. His company was called The Wine Group. But anyway, he and I have been friends for many years, uh, but during during COVID, actually, I um, I, I was actually teaching over in Rome, and I was, and I got stuck there during COVID with my family. It was not too bad, uh, but I wanted to have something to do, and I thought I'm going to finally write this next book about um, entrepreneurship. And I thought that was what I was going to do is to call Art and say I wanted to write about him and sort of keep keep his his guy him as a red thread that with all the things that he inspired me. So I called, let me make a long story short, I called him and I said, Art, he's in San Francisco, I'm in Rome. Art, I'm going to ask you a question. You have to say yes, and so on. And, you know, we were joking back and forth. And I said, look, Art, I'm going to try, write this book and I want to write it about you and use your story as my thread thread. And he said, I have good news and bad news. And I'm like, okay, Art, give me the bad news first. And he says, I have three months. My cancer has come back. I will, I will die in three months. The doctor told me. I'm home. And, and I said, okay, Art, well, what's the good news? And, and he says, I have no appointments until then. <laughs> this, is our, this is Art, the ultimate glass half full guy. And I said, look, Art, if you're up to this, I am up to this, uh, up for it. And he, I started to record all of our conversations and said, I can always finish writing it after you passed away. And so what happened is this beautiful communication where we were always aware that Art was at the end of his life. He was in his 80s. And I started to ask him all these questions. And lo and behold, after three months, Art was still alive. I came back to the US because the, the quarantine had been lifted in in Italy. And then I, Art didn't live for three months. He lived for two years. And I actually finished the book and he passed away three days before we printed the, the book. Mm. The book. What I had, the reason why I'm telling you this story is I had this privilege to sit at why the- don't, Why don't we go to break? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> then we'll come back and hear more about art. How's that? We're going to be right back with entrepreneur and entrepreneurship coach, Andreas Wiedmer. You'll find all of our show notes and links to books mentioned on this show at the mentorsradio.com. That's the mentorsradio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio. And now- Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. 
Welcome back. This is Tom Lauren. I'm with former Swiss guard Andreas Wiedmer, who today has 30 years of experience or more uh, in the uh, field of entrepreneurship and has participated in the launch of more than 100 technology products. So we're talking about Art Sioka and what you learned from him. Yeah. So I was saying before the break that I had this opportunity to basically sit at the feet of this I think one of the greatest entrepreneurs in, in the last 50 or 70 years or so of the, in the United States. And I'm saying that because if you popularize a commodity product to the level that he did and, and branded it, then I'm in awe. You know, I, I sold speech recognition and the internet. That's easy because well, if I have it and you don't, and then you want it, you, and, and there's not a whole lot of choice, right? But in commodity products, that's to me, that's one of the greatest achievements in, in business and in in, in marketing and in entrepreneurship as well. And so I had this privilege for the last two years of his life to ask him any question. I have hundreds of hours of interviews with him to ask him any question and what I really focused on. You see, there's a, there, there is a, there's a situation that happens. We all talk with the future in mind in saying, well, I don't want to burn this bridge or that bridge. And you're careful what you're saying. When you're, when you know that this book and what I'm going to write is his final testimony. Like, this is what Art had to say. Art said, I'm, I'm going to, you know, he thought he was going to die in three months. And he says, here's what I have to say. And I feel so privileged to tell you, to write to you about what this man at 84 years old, knowing, knowing that he wouldn't be here to basically face the music afterwards, what he told me, what the most important things in entrepreneurship and the most important things in life are, and I feel privileged of having turned that into a book and be able to share it with you. So one of the things has to do with culture. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the story of uh, yeah. destroying 25,000 cases? I, I think it was vermouth. Yeah. See, what Art said is, Art basically once worked for, I think when he first bought the company, it was a management-led uh, leveraged buyout. Right, right after, like, like four months after that, um, he actually worked once for like a half a year to work on an employee manual. And eventually he basically said, look, nobody's going to read this thing anyway, so I'm just going to ditch it. And he threw the whole thing away. Instead, what he does, he has like 10 values that he says are important in, in this company. And they all agreed on them. And they're very short. I print them in the book. Very brief, just less than, you know, half a sentence each. What it comes down to is he says, we are, we bring for, we bring about the best, the best wine, the most, ex, the most excellent wine at the best price. So it's a price value, right? And so one day they come into his office and said, something happened on the, you know, on the, on the floor in, in the, uh, in the winery. And uh, they call them in and, and they show basically that somebody made a mistake to, overboiled vermouth. Vermouth is something you make it hot, you make wine hot and you add these these herbs and then they sort of, uh, they liquefy into the into the uh, the wine and it makes vermouth and then it creates a somewhat clear uh, vermouth, you know, like you use it for martinis and stuff like that. So anyway, somebody did, uh, two guys did this and it solidified and it created a, uh, a sediment and it became cloudy, but then it would create a sediment. And they said like, Look, uh, it now has a sediment. It is aesthetically not pleasing. It's not. It's not how it should be. But in the past, when we did this, we sold it anyway because um, it doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't do anything. It's just a little sediment. You could eat the sediment. You'd be fine. 
and they asked him what to do. It's 250,000 cases. That's like a football field full of cases of vermouth, right? And um, to make a long story short, he called everybody together with the two winemakers, and he says, I tell you what, destroy it, but you destroy it. And the two of them had to destroy that vermouth. You know, it wasn't packed yet, so, so they could just let it go. And what he what he then did is this. Everybody was like, okay, three, two, one, he's going to fire them. He took them and he said, look, tell me what, what happened and how to make sure that this never happened again. So then said, we can tell you what happened. We don't know how to make sure that it never happens again. And he said, the reason why you're so valuable to me now, these are the guys who just screwed up. The reason why you're so valuable to me now is because you're the only people who can now fix this and make sure it never happens again. So go and find a way to make this never happen again and come back to me. And within two months, they came back and they showed a way to make this vermouth without this ever happening again, which is, by the way, now used industry-wide. And so instead of art going in and firing somebody or instead of art going in and destroy and, and, and selling the vermouth anyway, even though it was not up to par, he both destroyed non-excellent product because that's not the value he has. And he put the human excellence in the center of saying, if you have an opportunity to grow through failure, he will always take it. This is when Art said, this speaks much louder than any employee manual that I could possibly ever develop. And sure enough, his, his company, that's, that was the turning point of his company, where everybody started to lean in and become enthusiastic for the company because they felt that he would have their back, but he would also be very demanding in creating quality. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We're with founder of the Sioka Center for Principled Entrepreneurship, Andreas Viedmar. So those 10 things, I, I, I think I've got those in front of me. These are the questions uh, that come out of the book. I've got positive corporate culture. I just run these off so, some of the, so the audience can hear some of this. What do you celebrate as success? Who do we emulate? Who do we esteem? How do we speak? How do we measure? How do we reward? What do we use our money for? How do we compete? What is our ultimate goal? And what do we do when no one's looking? Is that what you're referring to? Uh, the values? Actually, that's those. He, those Art and I came up to uh, came up with to define what culture is. Uh, to define your culture, the one um, the ten points he had were on the page before that, on page one hundred three. Offering the best consumer value is what he said. It Put, putting performance first and the, and eliminating politics was the second one. You want me to go through them quickly? Or? Yeah, quickly. Yeah, we got about a minute. Number three, encouraging everyone to take proprietary interest in their work. Keep it simple. Reduce complex problems to simple solutions. Be positive to the market. Uh, be responsive to the market. Both the market for purchasing grapes and the market for selling brands. Exercise entrepreneurial risk-taking. Think outside the box to imagine new ways and to innovate and solve problems. Operate with the highest integrity because good ethics are good business. Be proud but never arrogant. And be good stewards of the gifts you have received. So I was, uh, in my career, I spent time in a corporation uh, when you mentioned risk-taking, it resonates with me because basically if you took a risk and it failed, you were fired, which limits risk-taking. And I think a lot of people have learned 
uh, and there's an issue called judgment. You can't teach judgment, but good people with good judgment will take appropriate risks, and you've got to encourage that. I think that's uh, the point there. Risk taking is important to move forward. Well, we're going to come back. We've got one more segment left. Uh, and when we do, we'll continue our discussion with Andreas Viedmar on his pioneering program focused on creating enduring value for both the entrepreneur and society. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Warren. I'm with former Swiss Guard, Vatican Swiss Guard, Andreas Wiedmer, who today has participated in the launch of more than 100 technology projects and we're, products. And we're talking about entrepreneurship and uh, Art Sioka. And uh, why don't you fill us in a little? You're a sales guy. So uh, Art had a whole different approach to sales than what you're used to and what I'm used to. Yeah. What was that? So, so the, the subtitle of our book is called Creating Enduring Value. And, and one of the things when, when Art left corporate America and started with this wine group, uh, the, with this leverage buyout, he, he always said that there's too much short-term incentives and that makes really, had really bad impact on business strategy and on actually building the business up, uh, you know, for long-term success. And when I asked him how he implemented that, so we just talked about the vermouth example of where, where he says, look, you got to walk the talk. So um so more than more than declaring it just speak with your actions and he says but sometimes you also the way he does this is by being so strong about his values that he attracts the people who share those values and i'll give you a quick example on that i learned from him one day he said you know and of course i uh, i'm the only company in my industry that doesn't have any sales incentives and so, you know basically sales quotas i'm like hold on I, I grew up in sales, okay? I, I first started in sales. I'm saying, you mean to tell me that you have a consumer product and you have no sales incentives, no quotas, and no sales commissions? And he says, yeah, no, I, I never had that. I'm, I'm against that. I was like, that's totally crazy. You And I said, Art, you are losing. You, you basically put yourself out of the market of the best salespeople that America has to offer. And he waited for a minute, and then he leaned in and he says, no, Andres, those are other people's best salespeople. My best people are not reacting like that. They are standing on the other side. And he says, by showing my flag of what I want, that if you have to be with my company, you will not make major money before five to 10 years being with my company. By, by, by saying that and by showing that to you, I will only attract people who are in it for a long term, and those are my best people, not the person who's who's incentivized by a quarterly commission or a yearly commission. And so eventually Art retired from the from the wine group. And from what I understand, the salesperson, sales manager afterwards said, Let, let's try it. The art is gone, let's try it. And they they introduced sales incentives and sales quotas. And I think it took them two or three years and they abolished them again. So today the company is back to Art's way of saying we compete as a company and we perform as a company. There is a team and everybody's on the team. If we make, we give high and rising wages, and then if there's some, if there's overage that we share, we're going to share it together. And the the upside for people in management is basically and leadership position is basically the shares they have in the company, which is by the way a private company, 
that they have a program to buy back the shares from them at the fair market value. Mm. Have to wrap my head around that one. Yeah, it's. I'm telling you, it's countercultural. That's. I wrote a. I, I wrote a bit in depth on it uh, in the book, but there's a lot more to it in in how he did this. So we've got a little bit of time, a little bit more than a minute. And uh, what is it that we should teach? And you'd already talked about. Well, let's talk about attitude, skill, and knowledge. And then I want you. You got about a minute. So you got to go quick. Uh, talk a little bit about patience and persistence. Yeah, basically. Um, skill, attitude, and, and uh, skill, uh, knowledge, and attitude. Attitude is really character. And it's it's one of the things we're trying to focus on in our school is to teach virtue. And I know virtue, a lot of people don't like that word, but the virtue of deferred gratification, of saying, I'm going to benefit, I'm going to put into work now and benefit later. That also gives you grit of persisting in adverse circumstances by deferring the gratification to tomorrow and doing the hard work today. It's very difficult to teach this, and I'm actually not sure exactly if we always hit the nail on the head uh, in terms of actually having the return on that. What we're finding with our students, though, and we I can't go into the details here, but we, we offer some of the insights on our website at the Bush School. But what we're seeing is that by teaching deferred gratification and grit, let me say, what we see and, and the clear indication on is that our students, two, three, six years after graduation, demonstrate a higher job satisfaction and happiness about their career and about their jobs, I think double the amount of the average American. Well, with that, we're going to have to close. I really thank you for your time today, Andreas. Uh, that's it for this week. Our guest has been Andreas Wiedmer, who's been who was one of St. John Paul II's Vatican Switz Guards and is now professor of entrepreneurship at the Catholic University of America. Thank you for joining us today. Remember, if you tuned in late, you can listen to this and past shows by downloading podcasts by going to your favorite podcast platform or our website, thementorsradio.com. When you're there, make it easy for yourself and subscribe to future shows. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next weekend at this time. For the next edition of the Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to thementorsradio.com. That's www.thementorsradio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.